All right, here's what we've been walking through. We're at the end of a series today called One, and we have been exploring for the last now, this is the fifth week, um, you know, vision for marriage from the wisdom of scriptures. And here are the, the five, the four lines so far, the four themes that we've walked through. We said a vision for marriage, um, let's kind of, it starts with a promise, thrives as a partnership, and fulfills a purpose. And then last week, we said a vision for marriage gets better with practice. And so we have hit each of those lines uh, over the last four weeks. And today we're going to move uh, towards one last theme as we do that. And, and as we do that, I brought, I brought this with me, and I wanted to just start our gathering this way. And uh, sometimes I talk to you guys that I, I play the saxophone, and you, maybe you don't believe me, and it's right here in this bag. I used to play. And so when I was, I mean, I, this, this was my life for six years, okay? Like from age 15 to 21, if you saw me walking, uh, during the day, at night, on a Sunday, on a weekend, whatever, this was on my back, literally. Like, I mean, I carried this thing um, with me everywhere, and I cherished it for, um, I, still, I still enjoy it, but in that season of life, I cherished it. This is called a gig bag because you can gig with it. You can go to a gig, and, and you can not carry a big case and just carry something on your shoulder. And it was always by my side, and there was one time in the winter that I'm walking with this, and I probably had another school bag or something else. I remember when I was at Vanier College doing this, I had, I had this horn holding another horn and my, my backpack on my back, and I'd take the bus home. And so I'd have all these things. I remember walking, and I, I, I hit ice, and I slipped. And so this is not a case, right? I mean, if I would have fallen on this, I would have crushed this you know, several thousand dollar instrument. And so immediately, without even thinking, I just kind of whipped it around me, and I held it tight, and I fell on my butt and on my back. And just to not bruise this, I bruised myself. Um, And it was just, but you do that, right? I protected it with my life. And uh, see, when you love something, you protect it. When something is valuable to you, you protect it. You protect the things you love. And something you, you do as well is you don't assume that they're going to protect themselves. Um, you don't give responsibility to someone else um, to protect it. And you provide what's needed to protect it, a case, something along those lines. You don't leave it helpless or naked because it's going to be helpless like that. When I think about my marriage, uh, myself and Frank, it's something that I cherish, it's something that is valuable to me. It's something that is important to me. When I think about it, I think I can't fathom life without Franca. So she's, she, I cherish her. I cherish my, my marriage. And when you think about that, you think, well, well, wait, don't we protect things that we cherish? And so today, what I want to walk through in this final message is this, that a vision for marriage lasts when you protect it. Now, I know there's nuances to this, and there's moments when this doesn't always work out the way we desire. But as we're walking through this series and as we're coming to the end of it, there's an aspect of marriage that we need to consider, and it's how do we protect it? And I don't mean how do we protect it culturally or socially or what, you know, what our society says about marriage. I mean, if you are married or if you desire to be married, um, and if you are also allowing the Lord to fuel your marriage, it's not about what others think or what culture thinks um, or even politically what all that means. It's saying, no, no, this is something that's valuable to me. I'm going to protect it. 
I want to read from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3. And it's just one line, and it's interesting. As the writer to this, uh, to this group of believers comes to the end of his letter, he's exhorting them, encouraging them in, in a variety of different things. In fact, almost every verse uh, refers to something different as he writes to them. But verse 4, he says this in verse 4. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Now, it's interesting because we read that, and there's something about that. Here's this writer writing to this New Testament church, and of all the things he mentions, he says, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. I like this next version of it from Eugene Peterson in the message, and he says it like this. He says, he says honor marriage, and then here's this word, and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. But I, I love the, the first few phrases because we're not going to unpack all of this verse. And we're, but honor marriage and guard the sacredness of it. Guard the sacredness of it. There's something special about that. And so two main thoughts I want to get across today. And here's the, fir- the fir- Well, they're basically two, awareness and accountability. And the first idea, the first understanding of if we cherish something and we want to protect it, um, are we aware? So the first challenge is be aware. Now, here, here's what I mean by this. Here's a couple of things. And there's, there's, there's a specialty to um, your spouse or to a spouse or to marriage. There's, there's something to be aware of. Of course, there's a, be aware of some of the negative things that happen in life and in culture, but just pause for a second and think of the specialty of your spouse. The special things. Last week, we talked about being um, grateful for some of the things that your spouse is or some of the things that your spouse does. So I thought about this for a little bit. And I thought about Frank and I thought about the specialty of her, the way she's committed to myself, to our family. I thought about um, the way she tries these cool dishes, uh, like for supper sometimes, she just finds something and try it, and you know, we're, we get to experiment with it, and gee, that's, that's a specialty that when I think about my wife. Uh, one Christmas time, as we, you know, we tend to be modest around Christmas, and sometimes we, uh, we do different things as well, and so she had made each of us a little booklet, uh, it looked like a mini little scrapbook, and she made it herself, and each inside it there were these coupons, and each coupon had something that she would do for us throughout the year. So we had 10 coupons from Franca. I had one, my kids had one, and so we all had this booklet, and this, was, this is a specialty of, um, of my wife. Uh, I think like one specialty is how great she can look on a budget and a limited wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> I say that because we have a limited budget and a limited wardrobe if you, you know, look at our closet. But I'm always amazed by that because I can look through stuff and I'll put some stuff on and I feel like I still look like a slob. And I look at uh, sometimes how she'll put things together. I'm like, that, wow, you, that looks good. There's a way of doing something, you know? There's this specialty. So here's the question. As awareness, are you aware of what makes your spouse special? Are you aware that you can't just create that in another person, recreate that in another person? So living with the awareness of the specialty of your spouse reinforces the value that he or she has. It's huge. Be aware of their special, uh, specialty. Also, be aware of their frailty. 
So a couple of weeks back, we, we looked at Genesis and we, we asked this question. Imagine if you're married, imagine every morning you wake up and you, you recognize and uh, you know, focus and understanding on this idea that your spouse is made in the image of God, right? And what would that do every single day? But there's a side of the creation that is, yes, we're image bearers, but we're human, and so there's this frailty to being human. In fact, Jesus, uh, we read about Jesus, that though he was equal with God, he didn't, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he took on the form of a human. Jesus became frail and fragile as he became human. So there's something fragile about what it means to be human. To be human, let's face it, is perishable. It means we are perishable. None of us are like canned goods. You know, non-perishable foods that nothing will ever... I don't know. Sometimes I wonder, like, what happens if I open a can in 50 years? But, but none, none of us are imperishable. To be human is to be perishable. It's to be fragile. It's to be fragile physically. None of us live forever. The scriptures even affirm that outwardly we waste away. That's just reality. We're perishable emotionally. That's part of what it means to be human. We're fragile. We're frail. So here's the, the thought that um, if you're married, you do not live with an indestructible person. You don't live with an indestructible person. Sometimes we want to think we're indestructible. Sometimes we appreciate the strength of our spouse. But they are not indestructible. You are not indestructible. So to be aware that your spouse bleeds, your spouse hurts, your spouse um, fails. There's a frailty to be aware of if we want to protect marriage. But then there's not only a frailty, there's specialty, there's frailty, but then there's depravity. And depravity is, is important because we need to recognize that we live in a world that is not perfect. We live in a world that is plagued with sin. That, that unless the Spirit of God completely takes over a life, and we never fully allow him to fully take over a life, even though we desire that, we're bent towards corruption. We're bent towards evil. There's an onslaught in our society that's sin. And there's an onslaught because of that, not just to, generally, of course, but there's an onslaught towards marriage. It's not necessarily personal. It's not like culture wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to destroy Dave and Franca's marriage or I'm going to destroy... That's not, it's not a personal thing. But it is a serious thing because sin is rampant in our culture and we are, we are in the crossfire of sin. We are in the crossfire of our world. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, our community group jumped, uh, you know, just came across this verse this week as we're walking through Hebrews together. And it was, it was uh, for me, it just stuck with me all week. And it, it came into this message. So thanks, guys, in our group. You gave me some content this morning. Um, but here it is. Encourage one another daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And th- there's some reality to that verse. So that, that none of you may be hardened destroyed, brought down by sin's deceitfulness. So there's two sides of that. There's an inward sin. The Bible says that we all have a sinful nature, that all have fallen short of glory of God's glory because of sin. And it's only through Christ that we're redeemed. 
but we struggle with the sinful nature on this side of eternity. So there's sin inside of our hearts that, that if we're not aware of, and if we don't continually bring before the Lord and, and continually grow and allow the Lord to work in our hearts, that that sin can destroy what we cherish. But then there's an outward sin in our world and around us that as well, not just us, but others that can destroy that. And what that does is that that gives us blind spots. It, it creates blind spots for us. So, you know, I remember not this car that I have, but the previous car that we owned. We, it, it was just about two, three weeks that we had it. And um, my wife and I, I think we went to Adonis on Sources. Anybody been to Adonis on Sources? Like the craziest parking lot in the world. Like it's, it's crazy. I mean, the, 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 the spots are like this small. And then it's always full and you can never find a spot. And everybody's like, literally, it feels like a derby when you're trying to, you know. And so here I was, I thought, you know what? You go in, you get, it was really quick. And so I was waiting outside and, um, and I thought I checked all my, like the surrounding of my car. And then someone just kind of was bringing their, their carriage. So I thought, let me back up for a second. So I thought I checked every spot, but I, I backed up and then I heard a, just a little bit of, like, what is that? Now, I thought I checked my blind spots and, you know, me and a civic just kind of got too close. And, um, you know what? The reality is, is that we need to be aware that there is things around us that can be destructive. Your marriage will get caught in the crossfire of sin and perversion in our world, and we will have blind spots. I mean, how many marriages, looking back, would say, um, and this could be uh, more difficult for some than for others, just thinking about this, but I wish I paid attention to to that. You just, you fill in the blank. I wish I would have paid attention to that. Whatever that or this is, but just looking back, I wish I would have been more aware of, of that. Maybe it's, a, 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 maybe it's a, something, some type of struggle of sin that you deal with. Maybe it's a purity issue. Maybe it's a substance issue. A substance abuse issue. Maybe it's a materialistic issue. And and you got into debt. Maybe it's, it's not thinking through some decisions. Maybe it was not being aware of your environment. I, I, I'm sure that many of us, whether in large scale or small scale, would look back, and you can, you can do this in any part of your life, but just think about marriage for a second and look back and say, I wish I would have paid attention to that. Because of that, in the, at first it was subtle, but that you know, led to something else. And you look back and, oh, I wish I would have pay, paid attention to this, maybe to the specialty. I wish I would have paid attention to the frailty. I wish I would have paid attention to the depravity. So check your blind spots. And this leads to the next idea of protection, because it's not only be aware, but I think when we cherish something, we need to be accountable and accountability sounds like a scary word. I don't want anybody to hold me accountable. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. I don't want anybody to infringe on my rights. I mean, these days, especially in society, I mean, everybody's opinion matters and we, we walk on eggshells when we speak about something because we're afraid of how people are going to judge us or, we're, or they're going to think we're judging them. But if we really cherish something, then it's so vital that we invite accountability. So it's not just being aware, it's being accountable. Because it's only when you're accountable that you are aware of your blind spots. Because you might miss it, but somebody else might 
catch it. That's why accountability is important. I mean, I think about my, my horn, you know, I mean, why? Like, this is how I bring it around with me. But just imagine for a second, if I take it out. Now imagine when I was those five years, you know, I, I take out my horn. And so this is what it looks like. It's nice and shiny. Literally, I haven't pulled this out in months. But so now imagine when I was in school and I, imagine I just slung a piece of rope here and slung it on my back and be like, hit the metro wall, you know, fall on the concrete, you know, stub somebody's um, bag and their zipper hits it. Like, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. So, obviously, I, there's a case. And so I've, I've created some kind of accountability here because I want to protect this. And in fact, there's very fragile pieces in my horn. I mean, you can just, just kind of hear that, right? Can you hear that a bit? So these are all these little fragile pieces. Now, the interesting thing is I never put my horn down this way because there's exposed pieces all along the side that if I put it down this way too often, this is going to bend, this is going to bend, this little you know, pad will get ruined. So I always put it down this way because I know that there's a whole framework along this side and that will protect the horn from damage. But someone who doesn't know that, they don't know the value of that. They don't understand how to protect it, how to keep it safe. Marriage needs a protective case. You don't just leave it exposed. You always provide it with some protection. And so how do you invite accountability, or who do you invite accountability with? Well, I think the first thought is your spouse. If you're married, and one day... When you, if you consider marriage, your spouse becomes your first accountability partner, outside of the Lord, obviously. So your spouse becomes your accountability partner. You invite your spouse to check your blind spots. And that, that means that in a marriage, transparency has to be the base of that marriage. So do we know what each other, how we're spending money, our purchases, or is there some hidden agendas there? Uh, is, is our calendar open before each other? Um, are our friends, the friends we hang out with, the people we know, is there just a common transparency there so we are accountable with each other? Now, of course, you think purchases. Well, I want to get my spouse this thing and I don't want them to know. Well, I mean, we're not talking about like a legalistic thing, you know? You know, surprise them. Sure, that's cool. But in general, how is this transparency there? Now, some people might say, like, man, that sounds like marriage is like you're on parole or something. Like you were, in, you were in prison, and now they let you out, and it's like, be careful, make sure you list everything, show everything, show us all things or whatever, do the scanner test and all that kind of stuff. But no, that's not what it is. But because, like the scripture says, that this vision for marriage is oneness, it's one flesh, it's becoming a unit and living this life together, that means that your life becomes exposed to one another with joy and honesty and openness and welcome. And this is a beautiful thing. It's a joyful thing. It's a, it's a loving thing. It's a, it's a free. It's a, in fact, it's very freeing. Because you're, to, you're building this life together that is open and transparent, there's accountability there, but it's really freeing because you don't have to hide anything. But it's also protective because it helps us with our blind spots. It helps us with our blind spots. And sometimes we need to just create those accountability structures. I often do that with, um, 
uh, you know, for instance, I, as much as possible, I do my best um, not to uh, drive alone with a woman in the car. Now, that's, it's not that it never, ever happens, but in what I do as a, as a minister, as a pastor, and, and just the fact with always working with people, I always think about how, is there a way to just have some accountability structures in that? And when that's not possible, at times the transparency issue between my wife and I is just casual, like, hey, so-and-so's bringing me back home from the office, or we had to go to pick up some things for this event. So there's just an open transparency there. It's not that there's anything wrong. It's not that there's anything to hide. It's just a normal kind of transparency. And part of the reason is, is, is because of ministry, but part of it is because of my wife and I, where we hold each other accountable. And, and we, we want to protect what the Lord has brought together. And if, 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 I, if anybody slips in a marriage, you sin against the Lord and you sin against one another. And then that's damaging. So accountability with your spouse. Secondly, accountability with friends. Is there a sense of, of a shared circle of friends? It doesn't mean that, that you have to be complete friends with everybody your spouse is. But there's, there is a problem that can occur when one spouse and another spouse has two completely set of friends. That's not always great. Now, of course, there's going to be work colleagues and, you know, people that, you know, maybe a hobby you're a part of or a class you're a part of and all this kind of stuff. And it's not going to be like, honey, come to class with me so you can always be in my class. You know, it's not, that's, not the, that's not the point. But the point is that is there too much of a divide of, you know, completely separate set of friends? Because there's a great accountability with a shared circle of friends. Because then your friends get to know you alongside your spouse and they get to know them alongside you. And here's the question. Do you have friends that stand with you in, the, in your priorities in life? And if you're married, one of those priorities is marriage. Do you have friends that encourage your values, encourage your priorities? So in marriage, encourage your marriage, raise the value of it, hold you accountable. Notice when you slip or slide. And then, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, you will come across people that are so damaging to your marriage. And you have to ask the question, can I help them? Can, I, can we still be friends? Or do in some way do I need to cut them off because they are just completely bringing me down? Completely bringing me down. I mean, the scripture says, Jesus says, if there's something that causes you to sin, cut it off. And so this is not like, you know, my friend's hurting and, and they're going through a struggle and that's bringing, you know, that's, that's overwhelming and it's really hard to, no, I mean, you want to be with, you don't, you're not just with, with people that have no problems. None of us have no problems. You, you, you're with, when you're with friends and they have an issue and there's a messy part of their life, you engage that, you help them, you're, you want to walk with them. But there's, then there's that line that gets crossed sometimes where there's friends that are just constant bashers of, of who you want to be. So if there's a serious marriage basher or one of your friends is a serious marriage basher that, that their constant response to you is, yeah, you know, been there, done that, you should just scrap this thing, move forward, try something else. If that's the constant advice, then there's a cutoff point. I remember sitting with a couple and um, not even in our, in our city and I remember them sharing with me that one of the spouses just was just creating some great friends at work, and it was it was okay, and, and it was fun. And but what was happening is that 
the other spouse was completely disconnected to all the stuff that was going on. And then it, it, one circle grew into another circle, grew into another circle, and, and the other spouse was completely disconnected. And, and this doesn't always happen, but they, they, they weren't aware. And they weren't necessarily keeping each other accountable. And they didn't, no one was checking their blind spots, and a line was crossed. And, and then, obviously, there was a problem. Thank God that by his grace and by his spirit and by the awareness of what, what the Lord was doing in their hearts, they realized, yeah, no, that we, we're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna fix this. And they, and they grew out of that, and it was great. But your friendship. And then lastly is the church. To be a, you know, you, we're sitting here today, we are being accountable to each other. How Dave even in worship just invited us into that moment and said, hey, is there something you need to pray for with someone? Is there something going on? This is what I've been walking through. Why should I walk through that alone? There's something about being part of the church that is automatic accountability. You don't even have to do anything necessarily. Now there's next steps to better accountability, but just being here, worshiping together, listening to one another, asking each other how, each, how we're doing, listening to the scriptures together, there's accountability in that. And when we do that, not only do we hold each other accountable, but this is why it's so beautiful. Because when we're here, we're not doing this perfect, okay? But when we're here, all of us, in one way or another, are here this morning because we're welcoming God's vision for our life. We're saying, Lord, we want your vision for my life. I bet you there's part of you being here this morning. You didn't come here to just tick off some attendance thing. I made it on November 23rd. You know, there's part of you that is here because you're saying, I welcome the Lord's will in my life. And so as I worship and as we open the scriptures together and as I speak with someone, we are saying indirectly or directly, we're saying, Lord, may your... May your kingdom come, may your will be done in my life. And when you do that in community, we're inviting each other in to that. And we're holding each other accountable in that. And there's something powerful and beautiful about that. And then that can go beyond to a community group. And I love, I love that. As for me, that, that other circle of, of um, community and fellowship and relationship and accountability is huge because we're, we get to walk with each other and go a little bit further than we do even on a Sunday. But then it can go beyond that in a couple of friends that are cheering each other on, welcoming God's vision for your life. And that, that might have nothing to do with marriage at the moment, but if you are married, it's also part of that. What is the Lord's will for your life, for your marriage? So these, these two pieces, be aware, be accountable. Be aware, be accountable. And we're going to end in this way. I'm going to actually ask Dave and, and uh, Sean to come back up, but just consider this. Here, here's this one verse, and maybe when we read this verse, you're saying, what does this have to do with marriage? But it's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. And, um, and I love this. This is from the Apostle Paul as he's writing to the Ephesian church. And... and um, no, not that one, down Ephesians. That one, yeah. I love that because here's, here's Paul. He's writing these words. They're just pulled out of a sentence. Be filled with the Spirit. But what he's doing is, as he writes that, he's leading up to what he does next. He says, how do you be mutually submissive to one another because of Jesus? And then he speaks about mutual submission in marriage, and then he speaks about how that works in a, in a working relationship and how that works in a home relationship. And, but he prefaces it with, be filled with the Spirit. 
Be filled with the Spirit. There's this connection between being filled with the Spirit and marriage. In the sense that what he goes on to say about a marriage relationship is dependent on, uh, don't do this alone, be filled with the Spirit. So think about vows at a ceremony. You might have said these vows, maybe you wrote your own, but here's some part of these vows. To have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part. And what's the last line say? So help me God. Now, some of you, when you got married, said, so help me God if I do that. Or some of you say, so help me God, I'm not going to get married. But in context here, I think we could emphasize the help. It was like, if we could bold that up and say, so help, oh God, help me. <laughs> you know, this, this is a, I'm making this vow. It starts with a promise, moves forward as a partnership. It fulfills a purpose. It grows with practice. And it lasts with protection. But there's this element here is like, God, I cannot do this alone. I, just, I cannot do this alone. Please help me, God. And so you have Paul in Ephesians. As he writes, just before he speaks about marriage, he says, be filled with the Spirit. There's this connection. Don't think that you can just grow in marriage on your own and protect your marriage all by yourself. So when, when Paul says that, and as we just apply this at the end of this, it's this. It's like we're inviting the Spirit, Lord, fill, fill my life. Fill me with your Spirit. Let your Spirit permeate my life. It's, it's this idea of surrendering my life to Jesus and knowing that when I surrender my life to Jesus and put my trust in him, God, by his grace, pours his spirit into me and into you. He says, you're not going to walk this alone. You're not going to walk this life alone. In fact, when he, when he commissioned his disciples, he said, I will be with you always. And that would be by the power of his spirit. When the church started to grow, the, the Lord filled the church with his Holy Spirit and said, you're going to go out and you're going to be my witnesses because of the power of the Spirit in you. And then even as Paul's connecting this to these relationships in life, he's saying, be filled with the Spirit. So it's turning to God for strength and direction in life. It's, 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 it's holding on to this promise. Oh, God, you, you're promising to be with me. So I'm saying help. God loves it when you say help. God loves it when you say, I, you know what? This looks great on paper, but Lord, I need your help. I need your help. I need your grace. So who will help you view your spouse as God's image when your own opinion is in the way? Who will give you the courage to both speak truth and listen to truth? Who will break down the selfishness of your heart, my heart, that inhibits you from generously giving your spouse the love and time and care and affection you long for, they long for? Who will fill you when your spouse fails you? Paul says, in connection to marriage, be filled with the Spirit. And this infilling of the Spirit is so vital because it's tied to a relationship with Christ. Just read this off the screen with me and we're going to bring this to a close. Tim Keller writes in his book, After trying all kinds of other things, Christians have learned that the worship of God with the whole heart is the assurance of his love through the world of Jesus Christ is the thing their souls were meant 
to run on. That is what gets the heart's sight cylinders to fire. If this is not understood, then we will not have the resources to be good spouses. And I love this line. If we look to our spouses to fill up our tanks in a way that only God can, we are demanding an impossibility. And so the one trap as we bring this series to a close is this. As good as marriage is, never make marriage a God. Never make marriage your God. Whether you're single or married, never make marriage your God. Only God should be our God. Only Jesus should be our Lord. And so as we pause and just take these, just a, just a moment here, we're going to invite the Lord to um, fill us with the Spirit. Say, Lord, we need your spirit. We need your touch. As Dave sings one of the songs that he, uh, he sang today, it was just about this dependence on Jesus, um, this dependence on who he is, that I, I don't want to hold on to anything else in life but him. And so here, as, as, as we sing this and close in prayer and worship, one way to protect your marriage is not to worship it, <laughs> but it's to make Jesus Lord of your life and Lord of your marriage and to invite him to, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. I invite you to stand as we, we close in this way. And, and uh, I know many of us here are, are followers of Jesus. And um, regardless of where we are today, even in, in conjunction to marriage, my invitation to you is, is just with an open heart, say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. I need you. But if you are married, to say, Lord, I, so help me, God, please. And let me just address some of you that aren't followers of Christ yet. Maybe you're just on a spiritual journey and learning and listening. Maybe this, this topic has attracted you and you're thinking, I, w- I want to live, live with this promise. I want to live with this partnership. I want to I fulfill this purpose. I want to see these practices in my life. I, I want to protect my marriage. And, and we're talking about this. And there's one gap that you would be missing if you try and do that all by yourself. And it's Jesus. Because you could try and do it all by yourself. But man, it's extremely hard. And to be honest, we're all going to fail at it. But we need Jesus. Amen. We need Jesus. And so maybe the close for you this morning is pausing and saying, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, lead me. Don't do it just for marriage because Jesus is not Lord, your Lord to fulfill tasks in your life. But if you do it, do it because you see, you see him as Lord and you want to put your trust in him. So as, as we just sing this song just once through, I invite you to pray as you feel led to pray. Maybe you need to just invite the Spirit in and lead you. And maybe you need to take a moment and just ask Christ to lead your life. And if that's you, it's simple words. Just pause and say, Lord, I repent of the direction of my life because I'm doing it all by myself. And I put my trust in Jesus, your son. I want him to be Lord of my life. I recognize my depravity, my sin, my frailty. And I say, I trust you. And I want to follow you. Bless your name, Jesus. I'm going to invite my wife to come up as we close in prayer today. And 
want to pray for um, all of us here today, obviously. And you know that in this series, we've been really doing our best to... Um, we've been really doing our best to um, just be sensitive to wherever you are in life. You know, married, single, just out of marriage because of certain circumstances. And, um, you know, we, as a community, we want to be sensitive to everybody's situation. Uh, but as we close today, I want to just specifically pray... Um, for those who are married, and, and uh, we just want to commission that to the Lord because uh, we really believe that uh, God has a goodness for you if you're married, in your marriage. And we want to bring that before the Lord. We just want to say, Lord, please lead, lead, lead the marriages in our community. Uh, be Lord of their lives individually, but Lord of their lives together uh, in that home and fill them with the power of your spirit. So let's, let's take a moment and pray for that. And then we're going to also just say, say a blessing for everyone in this room as well. And, and let me just challenge you. If you feel you specifically need prayer this morning at the end of this series, uh, as, as soon as we finish praying, the music will continue to play. And we just invite you to come to the front. And we'd be happy to pray with you. And I'll get a couple of other people to come as well. And uh, so as, as we pray, if you feel you need that, just come uh, over here in the front. We'll, we'll do that as, as the gathering closes and, and the music will keep playing and we'll have a chance to do that specifically. But let's close in prayer together this way. Father, we, are, we just say thank you for who you are and the kind of covenant relationship that you have modeled with for us. How incredibly loving and faithful and caring and active and forgiving and even protective, Lord, you have been with us. We just see it streamed right through the scriptures. And God, we thank you for that metaphor and how even through the scriptures you have used uh, that as a way for us to understand marriage and marriage as a way for us to understand our relationship with you. And we, though we know it's not the only way of life, we know that there is a goodness and a, and a beauty and a sacredness that has come from you. You've created that, Lord. We say thank you for that, God. And we lift up uh, every married couple in our church community. And even those who are single and who are not in that situation, Lord, I know together as a community, as we lift each other up in other situations, together we lift up married couples in our church. And we pray your blessing and your protection. And we pray, God, that the power of your spirit would fill those relationships, fill those homes. That in their partnership, spiritually, economically, in their decisions, in their affection towards one another. God, we pray by the power of your spirit, God, that you would give them everything they need. And God, may we be a community of accountability to each other, to spur one another on. And we thank you for Jesus who makes the difference. And God, now as a, as a whole church, um, God, we pray that we would grow in relationship to one another, to understand what it means to be faithful to each other and to grow with one another and to care for one another. 
And so as we go out today, God, and you send us into our workplaces and our homes and our neighborhoods, may we know that we are not alone. We are a family on mission. And even in that, God, we ask you for the filling of your spirit, the power of your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.